Hey folks, it's Marvin Cash, the host of the Articulate Fly. We're back with another Southwest Virginia Fishing Report with Matt Riley. How you doing, Matt? I'm doing good, Marvin. How are you? As always, I'm just trying to stay out of trouble. And it's kind of funny. We were talking before we started recording. It's like it's like March weather now again, right? Yeah, I mean, the classic spring, you know, bouncing around. I think uh, I was telling my guy today that... Uh, we had we had water temperatures in late February, early March, pushing what we had uh, this morning because our our water temps kind of fell off a cliff. With the big cold front came in Friday afternoon, and then uh, cloudy cloudy weather over the weekend. Yeah, you know, keeps the sun off the water, so um, water temp just keeps dropping overnight and. It uh, it happens. I can, I can remember canceling or, or pushing days for snow in late April in the last couple of years. So we're we're not far off of that, but we're still we're still doing it. Yeah, and I know you're kind of getting ready to get on the other side of all this, but you know when you get that, I know shocks are bad, whether they're you know warming things up or cooling things off. But you know how do the fish react when they have kind of have a prolonged period of like a drop in temperature? Yeah, I I always I always try to emphasize to people. Um, I, I talk about this a lot. It's the idea of numbers um, as water temperatures. You know, people like to say, "Oh yeah, like sixty degrees. What's a what's a good smallmouth water temperature? Like when are they active?" And that's a loaded question because you know, forty two degrees in February is really good if it was you know thirty six a week ago. Um, 50 degrees in August is horrible, you know? So it, uh, because it's likely been in the, in the upper seventies to mid eighties for, for a while. So it's all relative, but yeah, the, uh, the water temp game is a, is a complicated one. Um, and this, this time of year, it's very common for that to happen, um, with, with cold fronts and just the, big drastic changes in springtime air temps but um one thing that uh that definitely affects things is sun you know like i was saying if you have sun on the water um you at least have if if it's been a real cold snap overnight or for a couple of days it may be 11 o'clock or noon before sun on the water actually helps that water temperature start uh, moving in a positive direction, but what the sun does is that it 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 does um, you know penetrate the water. You'll see you know rock flats um, in shallow water start to accumulate bait fish and that kind of thing. It just gets gets things moving a bit. Um, I can remember some days in June and July where we've had really kind of unseasonably cool weather for a couple of days, and then you know, the next day of sunny weather, you're seeing these big smallmouth chilling in like six inches of water on a gravel bar in the middle of nowhere. Um, but it's a, you know, it's a, it's a reaction to, um, their changing environment and, um, just taking advantage of the heat that they, that they have and, um, following food and, um, yeah, this time of year, yeah, we usually have higher water levels too. And that's something like we were talking um, before we started recording about my day to day. 
um, we had pretty cool water temps this morning, but we also have a little bit higher stream flows than we did last week. Um, real low water with cold water and kind of lethargic post-spawn fish makes for some tough cells um, just because um, they're not they're not living in a world in which they have to go out and eat a bunch. Water temps drop, so they're just kind of sulking a bit. Today, where we had a little bit higher flows, um, yeah, the fish are still moving pretty slow, but they're actively burning calories, so they have to replace them. And when you have sun on the water too, um, they they kind of know, you know, hey, things are things are going to get better, and um, they they will get out and eat. So. Um, it just thinking about all the all the elements going into uh, the environment you're fishing and the time of year and all that um, helps a lot. You know, today if we had been fishing much lower water, higher in the watershed or something, I, I don't think we would have done as well as we did today. Yeah, and so for this cold snap, are the fish less chasing, so streamers aren't as much of an option. So you kind of have to go pry them out, or are they still in a chase mode? Um, I, it, I think that's a, that, that there's a couple factors that come into play there. One is, uh, height, you know, water height, you know, top water tends to work a little bit better in colder water conditions when the water's a little bit lower, um, just because there's less, you know, depth, vertical distance between the bottom of the river and the top of the river. Um, clarity is a big deal too. Um, and then, of course, just just current speed. You know, if if uh, we we did most of our fishing um, kind of mid column, fairly close to the bottom today, and um, moving, uh, you know, moving fairly slow. But you know, that said, um, like I was talking about, how fish kind of react to the their changing environment. Um, you will see, and we did see um, today some flats that that had some sun on them and some active bait fish that are being concentrated and some fish that are moving pretty quickly so small are very well adapted at, at living in very cold water and very warm water and uh when i think just about any fish when there's enough biomass to kind of stimulate feeding uh you know 50 mid 50 degree water is not hard for them to be very active in it's just a little bit of a shock coming from like mid 60s um so you know like i was instructing my client today we're fishing pretty slow but we had a couple of situations where some of these bigger schools of bait fish were being chased around and crashed by some pretty active bass and uh in that situation you you don't want to be fishing real slow you know you want to slap that fly down and get some attention with it and move it pretty quickly right off the bat. And, uh, you know, that, that fish is going to come over and eat it. So it, it kind of depends on just the attitude of the fish that you're, um, in front of at that moment, um, for one, but, uh, you know, again, don't, at the end of the day, you don't need to stress too much about a couple of degrees and drop a water temperature, just understand what it can do to them and uh kind of start your day out catering to that attitude and adjust positively as as you see fit 
makes sense. It does. And got an interesting question and um, kind of uh, pulling around because when Bruce sent this in, he said to ask Ellis or ask you. So I'm just going to ask both of you. Um, and uh, <laughs> Bruce's experience is he doesn't fish a lot from a drift boat. But when he does, it's frustrating for him because he has a hard time being accurate, uh, judging distance, and not missing spots. And so his question mm -hmm. was, you know, given those three things, you know, what should he do so that the next time he gets in a drift boat, he has a better experience? Yeah, um, that's a good question and definitely something that I have lots of thoughts on that probably are not going to come to me um, all at once. But the uh, two things that kind of spring to mind is, uh, you know, individual topics um are one um everybody should practice more i think even i mean even me i i don't practice in my yard as much as i probably should um the more automatic things become the less you have to think about them and, and just the more efficient you become um if you if you wade mountain streams almost exclusively or fish ponds or lakes or whatever you <laughs> unless you're cast into like busting shad or uh, stripers or something you, you often don't have to be there right now in order to take advantage of a situation um so if you if you're going to be fishing in a fairly fast-paced environment um definitely get out and practice you know learn what 20 30 40 50 60 70 feet looks like um and uh you know just get good at doing that fairly quickly at uh you know something i teach people all the time is the old you know making a an auxiliary stripping guide with your with your line hand trick you know when you're shooting line don't just drop your fly line and let it shoot through the guides um you know loosen your grip on it keep your your fingers and your thumb in a closed circle, like a, like a stripping guide and just let line shoot so that as soon as, um, as soon as that line's done moving, you can grab it, stick it back on your rod hand and get to work. Um, another thing that comes to mind is that, I mean, it kind of depends on the situation you're fishing in, but, um, you should probably, if, I would say at least people in my boat, you know, if I, if there's a good spot coming up that I want people to hit, um, they're going to get a pretty solid forewarning. Um, if I feel strongly about it and then, uh, I'm going to do my best to make sure you're kind of teed up and ready to hit it. Sometimes that means carrying line in the air for a few false casts while we're kind of, waiting for a window and some tree branches or um, a current seam or a pocket to, you know, become reachable. Um, it, uh, it, it kind of just depends, but I'm generally not going to just blast past the spot and hope you hit it. So that's, that's another thing. Um, but uh, another thing in, in terms of like something fairly easy you can do um, is investing in fly lines that have um, that have color changes in certain kind of strategic places so that 
um, you're aware of when the head of your fly line is inside of your rod tip or outside of your rod tip, um, when to shoot line. Um, if you have a change in color at 40 feet, that helps you judge that a little bit better. Um, being fairly communicative with your guide or whoever's running your boat um, as to what they think 40 or 50 or 60 feet looks like. Um, I also do a lot of sight fishing at times in the summertime and I use, you know, one o'clock, 10 o'clock, nine o'clock, three o'clock a lot. And, um, some folks are better at left and right and upstream and downstream. Um, some folks think, you know, my 10 o'clock is their 11 o'clock or something like that. I've heard you mention that before Marvin, you know, just having a conversation about, you know, where we can agree on, you know, 10 o'clock is before we get going. Um, and, uh, another thing that definitely comes to mind is you can, I have people ask me all the time, they're like, when, when we get in the boat, if they have a buddy that's left-handed or, and they're right-handed, they're like, well, what side of the river are we going to be fishing so that they can fish over their cast over their, you know, comfortable shoulder or whatever and the answer is all over the river um but also um you need to be able to cast backhanded or you know over your non-dominant shoulder and if you're in a boat with me it's kind of not an option i'm going to try to make you learn that and fish that way as much as possible because it just makes you more um more adept and more efficient at getting into spots and um you know, I think those are all the things that come to mind right off the bat. Um, another thing that I strongly discourage people from doing pretty regularly is, uh, you know, slapping a fly down and wishing it was it landed three feet away and picking it up again and dropping it down again. And it landed in the same spot and then picking it up again and laying it down again. If you're streamer fishing or doing any kind of topwater fishing, um, most of those fish are going to, in some degree, react to a piece of food entering their domain. And so one, um, if you're picking it up and dropping it down that many times, we're probably past the spot already. Um, or two, uh, your second and third cast is probably not going to be better than your first cast. And three, um, that fish is now seeing that food source, you know, enter their domain, leave, come back, leave, come back. And now um, it's just not as attractive as it once was. And you've kind of lost that, um, that surprise element or that immediate, you know, attention to, you know, what's, what's in the neighborhood. Um, so that's, that's another, another, I guess, motivation for just being, uh, being more accurate, being able to efficiently shoot line, um, and get to fishing. Um, and let's see, here's some extraneous thoughts here still kicking around. <laughs> um, let's see if, uh, fishing that first cast is almost always going to be better than fishing that third cast just because, it's already in the water, you know, you're in relatively close to the spot, you know, 
there's a chance there's a fish that's going to eat that fly at some point um, during that retrieve. Uh, go for it unless, you know, whoever's running your boat tells you, no, you know, really try again. Um, in just talking about that kind of reaction to something entering the water, it's pretty important to have immediate control over your fly line when things hit the water. Um, comes to mind streamer fishing or topwater bug fishing. It's it's very common for for reaction strikes to occur where you just get you know knocked out as soon as something hits the water and so you need to be able to strip set or set the hook or just have some some uh grip on your line so again that uh you know line shooting through your fingers closed circle um tactic is important um and then particularly streamer fishing in a faster paced environment it's I I try to almost always have my fly moving at me, um, as in like into my first strip, either as soon as the fly hits the water or before it hits the water, so that when it does hit the water, it's already kind of fleeing the point of entry. Um, so again, just having kind of immediate control and uh, practicing just that line management, you know, being able to make a cast at, you know, a tree trunk or clump of grass in your backyard, um, straight line all the way rolled out and then immediately just pick it up and put it somewhere else, you know, 20 feet away is, uh, is, is pretty important. Yeah. Um, yeah, good. I think, I think that's probably all I can dump right now. Yeah. I was going to say just to kind of back back, you know, we talked about practicing, but you've talked about some of it, uh, you know, you've talked about it like, um, you know, learning to shoot line. But I think, you know, the biggest thing to do, like in terms of learning distance, right, you can get cones and measure it, right? Um, Mm -hmm. But then the other thing is, you know, the trick is, you know, you also talked about learning to change direction because it's highly likely, particularly if you're like topwater fishing, right, that you're going to have to basically have your first back cast in a different plane than where you want your forward cast to go, right? Yes. Um, yes. And then also, too, you know, the secret of the sauce is basically to minimize the false casting, right? Because you miss spots if you got to basically false cast three times. Um, Very true. Right. So I don't know. I mean, y- you fish with a lot of, you know, different anglers, but I would say, you know, you ought to be able to pick up and put down kind of 40 to 50 feet of line without hauling. And, you know, well, not without hauling, but without false casting a lot, right? Absolutely. And that's that what that comes down to is just knowing how to properly load a rod and use that to create another quality cast. Um, and it's something that, you know, if, if we're if we're being honest here, that I fight people with constantly because, you know, topwater fishing, you don't have to worry about moving the fly right off of that most of the time. It's it's fairly straightforward. You need buckets of water you're done until a fish eats it. But, um, if, uh, I can't tell you how many times I tell people to strip the slack in before they pick the fly up again. You know, if, if it comes down to, if, if we have a spot that I feel strongly about coming up and, you know, you don't have your slack stripped out and you go to pick your fly up, um, you're not going to properly load the rod. You're not going to get a good cast. It's going to fall down in front of you. You got to either, most people will try to pick it up and muscle it out there again, or eventually you'll just become exasperated and, and 
strip it all in and, and make a good cast. So just knowing how to properly load a rod, get that, get that good bend, put a line out there, be in immediate control of it, pick it up, load the rod, put it somewhere else, you know, just very crisp, quick. Um, that's, that's super important. And I mean, most, most people will tell you, um, particularly trout fishermen, not being, uh, you know, this not an aggressive statement anyway, but we'll tell you <laughs> that you don't have to be able to cast more than 20 or 30 feet to catch fish. Um, sometimes you do, if you want to take advantage of every situ, every opportunity and whether or not you need to be able to, if you can cast 60, 70 feet, well, consistently, um, you're just going to be able to cast at 30 feet a lot better. So I would say, name of the game is just just practicing um all that efficiency and and quickness and and just i mean sounds simple but being able to put it where you want to anytime as easily as possible yeah and it's kind of crazy right because if you go from three false casts down to basically one false cast you don't have to you don't have to feel as rushed right right and you know if we put it into you know, streamer fishing for brown trout on a tailwater situation is probably as good an example of efficiency in casting and how it relates to success as, as you can get. The more that flies in the water and, and hunting efficiently, um, or yeah, the, the, the more likely you're going to pop a fish or get one to eat. And so if, if I can, you know, if I can have the boat, 60 feet off the bank and somebody can stick it within six inches of the bank, you know, fish it out 15, 20 feet, pick it up again, shoot that 20 feet back out, land at six inches from the bank, fish it out 20 feet, you know, all day long, their chances are way higher than somebody who's got to, you know, make a cast, strip out a bunch of slack, then start fishing their fly then pick it up and make four or five false casts and then stick it back in the spot. And it's, uh, you know, just eliminating all the fluff and being able to make it happen now, you know, having some urgency with it, um, is, is a big deal. And so I'd just say to translate that into your practice and, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it sounds simple, but not many folks practice and and that's that makes a big difference yeah well uh bruce i think we've covered it but if we've left something out just shoot me an email and uh folks you know we love questions on the articulate fly you can email them to us you can dm us on social media uh if we use your question uh, i will send you some articulate fly swag and we are drawing for something cool for matt at the end of the season and i know matt i saw a newsletter within the last day or so and there are a handful of days left. You want to let folks know what you got and how to find you and all that kind of good stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. Hopefully um, questions in the future won't resemble um, airing of grievances as much as uh, this one might have, but uh, <laughs> the, uh, yeah, the, the summer dates or there's like two or three of them left. Um starting to i haven't really pushed for it much but we're starting to look at like um october november december for smallmouth musky trout etc um still have plenty of mountain stream trout baits open um i've got uh i've got a guy i've been working with um to help get more folks um on those mountain streams trout fishing and learning 
Um, so if any of that interests you, um, or if you just want to stay kind of up to date and, um, get first shot at some of those, uh, cancellations that hopefully won't happen, but probably will, um, feel free to subscribe to that newsletter and, uh, reach out however you feel best and look forward to hearing from you. Uh, well, there you go. Well, listen, folks, you owe it to yourself to get out there and catch a few tight lines, everybody tight lines, Matt. Thanks, Marvin.